Welcome to Box Talk, a podcast for affiliates and coaches, powered by Box Pro Magazine. Well, welcome to this episode of Box Talk. I'm your host, Heather Hartman, editor of Box Pro Magazine, and I'm here with Andy Parker. Andy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Can you go ahead and just say, hey, introduce yourself, tell us where you're from. Sure. Thanks for uh, having me. Um, Andy Parker, I was the owner for CrossFit Stanford, Stanford, Connecticut, for um, over 12 years. Um, we'll get all to it. I sold the business. Now I live in Florida. Now I'm on your podcast. Now you're on my podcast. <laughs> and you're doing something cool called Next Level Affiliate, and we'll talk about that too. But if you cool. guys want to know anything, you have to wait because we <laughs> always start with the story, the story of how the guests on the show came into the industry. So, Andy, how'd you find CrossFit? What, what's, what's your story? Um, you know, it's funny. I've written about this story a few times, and it's uh, I find like for – People at the time when I was an affiliate, like in 2006, so it's pretty old, that a lot of us found it the same way, right? So my, my, my background was I worked in a normal job, like a financial job. I worked in San Francisco and then, then in New York, hated it, like a lot of people. And I was young, was, you know, soul-sucking type job. I decided to, like, I need to quit this job. I'm going to do something I like. And I started working as a football coach because I had a background in that. Right. So I, I, I was like, what do I want to do? What's fun? So I started coaching football and I was working as a front desk guy at the YMCA, like the base level thing you can do. And then from there, kind of, I, I found that I was pretty good at personal training. It's really what I like doing. I worked out my whole life. Um, went from there, kind of graduated to like a fancy gym, <laughs> built up my personal training business from there. And then me and my partner, who's now my wife, we made our own personal training business. So that's how we kind of really got started with personal training business first. So we had a business before CrossFit. And then when we were doing that, so the way I found CrossFit was in, it was like men's outdoor magazine or something like that. And it was just a workout. It's the first time I've ever heard of it. You know, we're in Stanford, Connecticut is about 40 minutes from New York City. So there was only CrossFit New York City, Black Box, the giant one. So it was really, I had no idea what it was, saw the workout in there, thought it was crazy. I still remember it was like deadlifts and running, which was so weird at the time for us. And it was for time, did it, crushed me. And then I fell in love with it like a lot of people did. It was just different. It was new. And then um, we were at the, it was, I found it at the right time at the right place for our business. Because we used to say to ourselves even back then, we'd be like, why would someone come to our business? Like, why would they come to our personal training business? You know, what makes us any different? And CrossFit was so, so different. So um, within a year, you know, we became an affiliate. We were training out of a really small gym, went to uh, literally across the parking lot, found a 900 square foot space and kind of took it from there. And then from there, uh, went, moved like within two years, moved to a bigger gym and then another year moved to a bigger gym. That's that gym is still there. So that was affiliate in 2006, and then in 2000, so it was a year ago, 2018, we sold the business to our head coach, moved to Florida, started new businesses, and that's where we are. So summed it up in 15 years and like a minute. Yeah. You did really good. That was really pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So you had a business, you had a personal training business that was thriving, but you wanted to add something knew some spark because you were like how do we make ourselves unique and crossfit was that unique part 
and then Absolutely. 12 years later you had a business still thriving so yeah it is um you know crossfit what, what actually there were so many aspects to it but what what um what we saw was anyone who's done a lot of personal training one-on-one that your clients get really comfortable with you. It's harder to push them. They have no really concept if they're doing well or not, you know, as, as far as like in terms of the fitness. So we would start putting them in little groups and that's sort of how it kind of started from there and grew from like groups of three or four people to eventually, you know, CrossFit Stanford, huge groups of 40 people, that kind of, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so what was different between the personal training and business that you were doing and then doing the affiliate itself and how did that business model even evolve with introducing the CrossFit element? Mm, that's a good question. It's funny. I'll, I'll circle back to that in a second, but it's funny because we're seeing it come back full circle now with PT first, you know, this PT first model. Um, and even f- just speaking personally, I, it was such a, I love one-on-one training is very different. I love it because you, you do have so much more control of what exactly they're doing you know, there's no, there's none of the peer pressure. This person next to you is lifting more weights or they're doing other stuff, you know. Um, but the group was more, but training the group and coaching the group is so much more fun. There's just more energy. And obviously, as a business, you leverage your time. You know, at a certain point, as personal trainer, you get a new client. You don't have another two, three hours to train that person, you know. So there's a lot of that. Was the, is leveraging large groups, you just have way less control over those individuals. I mean, our motto is like, if I have a personal training client, I'm going to have that person for life unless they move away, lose their job or something like that. You know, I, before I left, I had, a, I had one client left who was 78. He was like really my friend, but I trained him for like 10 years, you know? Um, so managing the group and then the group dynamics are just, that was very tricky, very different than one-on-one training. You know, it's like managing a, you know, we usually were a community all the time, but it's like a school. I, I used to think it's like high school. It's like, how do you manage a group of high school kids like in the community? You got brand new people, you got the seniors, you know? Um, and so now, like I was saying, now it's kind of come back. You know, it's come back full circle. So we started doing it in the last few years where we went away from group beginners class, like group on ramp to the one-on-one no sweat intro type thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it, it has been interesting evolution, even, even hearing how you guys start with the personal training business, then you went to the group model. And then even towards the end of owning the business, you went back to personal training. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of even on that thread, Andy, what would you say to affiliates who are maybe looking at changing back to that model? Because that is the trend right now is going back to personal training and I, there's there's different thoughts on it, but the more and more I hear is like, yeah, we kind of need to have that one-on-one. We need to make sure we're establishing relationships so that our clients are long-term. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, what, what maybe things did you see at Stanford that you're like, well, this is why we did it, and this is what worked, and this is how we were successful in it? Hmm. So our so our main business was still the group model, right? We were, we were what I would call a typical large box gym, you know, 8,000, uh, like if you close your eyes and picture a big CrossFit gym, that's what we look like, a big warehouse, large classes, loud, um, that was still our main income, right? Percentage wise, what came into the business was the group. And then we really started supplementing the one-on-one training. The originally was really for our coaches, you know, at, at our peak, we had, I think 12 coaches and in order to 
keep them and have a, you know, a real career. They really need it. You know, there's only so many classes in a week and for them to supplement their income and for us to keep them long-term, we really pushed one-on-one and grew that. And the, and the coaches who are good at it and were aggressive with it, I would say like that, and that putting themselves out there, were doing excellent and you know, making real careers, making six figure careers as a full-time coach. Um, the hard thing I would say it's, is being an established box who's done it one way for so long that there is a bit of a sticker shock to go from paying, you know, our gym was about $200 a month to now paying $80 for one session. So that's, that's a bit of a transition. So we, we, we had some techniques we did with our current membership. We did a lot of like half hour sessions and work on particular things. A lot of people call them skill sessions and it's common, but it was really just starting with new people. Because when we started with the, the old model was you come in, it's a group, and we, we led the beginners group for 10 years uh, the first day. It's a big group, and now they're used to being in a group and training. So now the new way, it's like you're meeting one-on-one. We're going to really sit down and talk about what's best for you, and you're going to do your five to seven sessions one-on-one with that coach first. And you may just be that coach's client. You may just be, you know, you're used to training one-on-one. It's a normal transition to just stay personal training, and ideally the mix is like group and personal. You know, maybe you do uh, you, you do the group a couple times a week and then you do personal training once a week, something like that. That seemed like the best mix um, that worked, it worked really well for us. Yeah, and, and that makes that makes sense. Um, in terms of affiliates who might be like, well, Andy, like that, I'm glad that worked for you, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like my demographic would pay $80 per session. And that's, that is something else I hear where it's like, well, you know, every demographic is different. Every area is different for the gym. So some people are like, well, there's no way that we can do personal training because like half my members are like, I would never be able to afford this, you know? So is it going out and finding people that can afford the personal training? Is it that value aspect, educating people on that value? Like, uh, what would you say to an affiliate who comes with that sort of mentality of like, I, I don't know if this is gonna, I don't know if my demographic even works with this personal training mentality or this one-on-one. Yeah, that's a great question. You hear that and we were felt the same way. We really did. Cause a lot, cause every gym is different. Our demographic was younger, you know, uh, let's say 20 to early 30 year old, just kind of getting in the workforce. You know, they have some um, extra money to spend on an expensive gym membership, but that's, you know, asking a lot. So I think you start with attracting, you do have to kind of attract the new people and you do have to educate, you do have to spend a lot of time educating the benefits of it, especially if they only know group. You know, I listen to a lot of uh, Dr. Sean Pastuch is a PT first model, active life. And he'll be the first one to tell you that's the first argument, that it's money, you know? But if there's people who are more than happy to spend the money for that that quality or you can show them like you fix them you know you have so much more I use that word and it sounds almost it almost doesn't sound good but when I say you have control over them you really control what they're doing in that session you can work exactly on what they need and I do still like I'll go back to what I said I do think it is still best a mix because there's so many good things with the group and there's there's so many good things with individual if you can figure out a way to know Maybe they just do that half hour session and it's very affordable, you know, and you can work on those things. And then besides, there's so many other little aspects besides the physical thing you're helping them with that coach now makes some more money 
that coach has contact with that person. That person is way more tied to the gym now. They have some accountability and things like that. I see it now. I don't know if I, I, know if I answered that no, question. No, no, that make, <laughs> no. It makes sense. I was just thinking you said control. I was like, cross at Stanford. We control people. <laughs> we're, in, <laughs> we're in control of you. We're in control. But but so you're saying um, have the two different options, have personal training as an option, but also have group classes. But you did mention that you started to move away from the group uh, intro classes. And so yeah. was everyone going through a one-on-one with coaches before they joined then at towards the end of the business? Yes. So we, we're, I'm a, I'm a hardliner when it comes to like beginners class stuff, when it comes to what are we going to call on-ramp fundamentals, whatever. I'm, I know so many gyms do it differently. You could just jump in just, we're going to do a free day trial. And you know, I, I, I never could understand how that works. Well, our big thing was like, there's no rush. What's the rush to get the class? You know, we're going to, if we could keep, if I, we used to always joke when our classes would graduate at the end of a month, they would do uh, three weeks of on-ramp class. I was like, I could, if I could keep them for another two months in this group, I would. Um, I forgot what the question was. What were we talking about? I'm just <laughs> curious about that on-ramp, on-ramp being one-on-one and how uh, yeah. that works. Because I can see like some people are like, oh, but that that's still too much of a barrier to entry because of the price point of that one-on-one intro. Yeah, that's great. And So the way we, the way we changed it, this was a little bit um, – there's so many different ways to do it. And I've talked to so many gyms, you know, we're tied with, um, solace CrossFit solace and it's not called CrossFit solace, solace in Europe. We were part of, um, the group that started them and that was, they had some really innovative ways of they're doing their beginners class and on ramp. It was different. It was completely out of sequence. So ours was like really fundamental sequence, like day one, you're learning how to air squat. And so it was really based a lot on the level one. So you're never going to do like, cleans before you've done a proper deadlift and things like that the way solace did their model and they've changed it since then is they basically had seven sessions that were individual you could jump in at any one of them and you would know what you're doing it wasn't tied to the previous ones um so the way one of the things we changed with our on-ramp model to make it more affordable because you still have to pay the coach for their time was um so so our regular group on-ramp was say two hundred dollars and you get uh you got nine sessions and the rest of the month to be in class. And if you didn't, if you signed up, you went to the first class, the introductory class, you didn't like it, no problem, give your money back. So there were, that was that was our free intro in that way. Um, the way we changed it, so we changed it to, you're gonna do five one-on-one sessions with a personal trainer, coach, and then you're gonna do two sessions on your own of what we just call a conditioning work, where the coach would tell you what to do. So you're going to come into the class, you schedule a time, but the coach isn't with them. If they're doing a salt bike, three minutes on, three minutes off, things like that. Because besides learning all those skills you need to know to be in class, you do have to kind of get in shape, right? So doing five sessions wasn't enough time. So that was kind of like free. We didn't have to pay anybody to do that. So it was a way we offset the cost. So to pay them for those five sessions was still close to $200. It really wasn't that much a different price-wise. Um, some places it's, if you're, if, if I was a brand new gym, I would probably, I may let people just come into the class and coach them. So if I had four people in my class, I could do that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, um, the original way we used to do is just, we had three introductory sessions and the owners would do it and I, I didn't pay myself for that. So it was free. It was pretty easy and I could charge them cheap. You know, um, there's still, there's so many different ways to introduce it, but I'm a huge fan of like, you got to do that. You have to like 
this that's the most important time they're so malleable at that time right it's like besides teaching the lesson like how to move correctly at teaching our culture this is how we do things here you know you're kind of like another one of those words that doesn't sound great but like indoctrinating them into what we do right so they become part of our culture if someone just comes in and they jump in the class the example i used to always use what if you're doing like grace that day this person never even touch the barbell okay buddy go over there i'll, I'll chime in while to me that i don't know i had a disconnect i could never understand that <laughs> no and, and yeah, i think <laughs> that makes sense and i i mean i understand that so and you're right there Ooh. are tons of different ways out there i mean since i've been with boxer magazine over the past five six years like it's just evolved so rapidly and changed and talked to so many people so it, it does it does it, it really does um change from box to box gym to gym but this is definitely a trend and so thank you for speaking on that just kind of curious what your thoughts were so and then andy just with crossfit stanford i guess i would love to hear cause sure. you were in business for 12 years which is pretty impressive great job um but i'm just kind of curious um what maybe some of the the, the biggest lessons you learned about business maybe the, the biggest takeaways that you know when you sold stanford you look back and you're like these are something solid lessons that i've learned that i hope to now apply to um other people i talk to other owners i talk to just kind of curious if there may any takeaways that really stick out that maybe you've learned that you could uh speak on that might help other affiliates who still own gyms out there sure it were cutting out a little bit in there but i think i got the gist of it um, the biggest things I would say, and this is like, we're huge on sort of the boring things. It's the fundamental thing. <laughs> we're in a customer service business and the owner, uh, sets the tone for everybody else of how you're going to be. So you, you have to, everybody says you have to the best customer service, best customer, customer service. But what does that, that really mean? And I, I would say you have to make individual connections with every member as much as you can. And then you're and then you're hiring someone you're hiring the next person and you're going to teach them they have to do those same exact same exact things you have to honestly care about each one of the people in your gym they're they're an individual person it's not a class of 20 people there that's 20 individual people that you know their life you know their you know their who their kids are what they're doing and then from there this was sort of our i want to say called secret sauce or whatever is that we had so much going on you know, people say the community, like, what does that really mean? Community to me doesn't, um, we knew this like in 2006, it doesn't just happen by itself. You have to decide what, what kind of community you want. What are the people you want at your gym? Um, so our big thing was we had to have something every month going on and we broke things down to like, there's big events, like everybody does, like, um, you know, competitions, nutritional challenges, things that you do a couple times a year. Then there are small fun things, you know, we will always go bowling and go play laser tag and do things like outside the gym that are fun, not necessarily a super hard workout thing. Cause not everybody wants to do that, you know, and it's like a whole, whole day on the weekend. So we'd have one of those per month. And then we had lots of little things going on, like, you know, uh, kettlebell kitchen We're we love those guys. They were in New York city. So they'd come over and they, you know, sometimes we'd be like, Hey, can you uh, come over and, you know, we'll buy some food for the night class or something like that. But it was, there was a lot of different avenues, a lot of things that we, we created for people to be able to talk about it with their friends and things like that. And that's what people mean. They say like organically, like that's like organic traffic. That's, that's sort of um, 
the next thing is way more beyond than just the, the class. I think too many coaches or owners get a little too crazy with their programming, thinking that everybody's coming there for their magic programming. And I always, I did the programming for a million years and spent a lot of time on it, but I always knew um, they're coming for a lot of other reasons, you know, besides it's not just the, the workout after a while it's not just the workout they're coming for it's their friends it's all these other things we get to do you know the um where we were in stanford we were 40 minutes from new york so we had a lot of people moving back and forth and towards the end especially i wrote a thing about this uh, last week about we call them transfer students so people who are from another gym and they're looking for you to join a, a new gym and most people the theme was they wanted to come to this gym because there's a lot going on there's like they want to make some new friends. They're they're new in this city. They don't know anybody, and we would facilitate a lot of ways to, you know, create new friends. And some of that, um, I wrote about this in something I forgot, but it was about how even how we would do our partner workouts and team workouts. So we would do 50% of the time. There was no like exact formula, but say there was three partner workouts this week. Two of those. Um, as the class is warming up, the assistant coach would write the names on the board and match them up. Those are their partners. Oh. So they would sort of, because it's human nature, I go to a group class. I do like the Muay Thai and I go to, or jujitsu before it. You go to class and, you, and I remember feeling, all right, we'll get a partner. And I'm a new guy. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know who you are, you know? But when I loved it, when my coach, sensei, would be like, all right, Andy, you're going to go with Bob. And I'd be like, oh, hey, Bob. Now I know him. You know, and after that workout of partnering, it's very similar to the martial arts now. After after that, that workout together, now I know that guy, you know, we high five, things like that. And that and that would sometimes just be in the warm-up. We didn't always do partner workouts, obviously, but like in the warm-ups, that's another time we would do that, that same kind of thing. Mm. That's really cool. That's a really cool idea to just kind of pair people up and get them knowing different people. Because I know I can always go to my comfort zone and always partner with the same person. And I'm like, exactly. well, it'd probably be good to partner with new people, get to know them because you're going to work out together. You're going to suffer together. And you're going to be like, okay. And then it's good too because then you have different levels of athletes working out together and you can always modify to make it the same. And Because I, I know, I mean, whenever I've coached a class and I'll be like, okay, who hates partner workouts? People raise their hand because I just want to know. I'm like, who hates these? And they're like, yeah, they're, they're like, I'm afraid. I'm like, it's okay. I'm afraid too. So it's, it's good to kind of talk through that fear with people and then pair them up together, but also like try and figure out, okay, how can, how can we do this where you're both getting a great workout, but we're also meeting new people and getting connected to one another. So, yeah, there's so many ways you can make the workout you know, format the workout that way. So it would be like, say we and you are partnered and I'm brand new and you've been here for four years. Maybe that workout is I'm going to do a minute of rowing. Then you do a minute of rowing. I'll do a minute of that. That way it's not like, you know, I'm not holding you back. I get to work as hard as I can. You will cheer each other. You know, that kind of thing. It's never like we wouldn't put one together where you're going to do 10 pull-ups and then I'm going to do 10 pull-ups and I have to stand there and wait, you know, to get mad at each other or something like that. You know, so when we, when we, a lot of thought went into like how to create those types of workouts beforehand. Yeah, yeah. that's that's good because and I've had the instance in a class where I had two people partner up and they were just different levels, and it was just like, oh man, this is a hot mess. And then they messed up on yeah. the counting. It was just a hot mess. <laughs> I hope they had fun at the end. They were just laughing, but I was just like, 
ooh, <laughs> we need yeah. I to figure out how to do that better next time. <laughs> it's happened only a, a few times I remember where someone was kind of annoyed. They're yeah, like, and then you feel bad because they're annoyed, and then the person they're annoyed at feels probably bad. feels horrible, and they're like, and that's why people hate partner workouts is that yeah. they're just insecure, and they're like, oh, I can't keep up with these people, I'm not good. And that's why I'm like, well, I think it would be a good thing to pair them up with different people, different levels, but in such a way that it's like everyone's still getting a great workout so they can see partner workouts don't need to be scary. We can figure out how to take this level athlete and this level athlete and have them work out at the same time together, and it's still great for both of them. So Yeah, it was a good way to almost be a trick to get people to work out a little, like do a longer workout with like timed rest. You know, it's just like we're going to do a 30-minute AMRAP or something. You're going to, you know, it's a good way to – kind of chill out a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Because sometimes you just need to chill some people out because they are just crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So awesome. So Andy, so what led you to then selling CrossFit Stanford, you know, after owning it for 12 years? Um, That's a good question too. It was, you know, my wife and I, we started this business when we were in our twenties. I don't know, my forties now, you know, there's a lot of, some of it is I felt like we kind of did it. It got to where, you know, my goal was never to like to have a gym with a thousand members. Or something. That never really was the goal. I'm big on like picturing exactly what I'm big on like visualizing what do exactly what I want and then work to getting towards that thing. And there was a point when our gym was exactly what I pictured. It's like a big, huge gym. It's full of people. We got a lot of people, coaches and all things. It makes money. And then um, we were like, what's next? You know, what's the next thing? I still love working out. I still like doing, you know, my versions of CrossFit workouts and things like that. Um, part of part of the motivation was to move, you know, New York. We were in the Northeast. It's, it's cold and kind of gross. Sometimes as much as good as expensive and things like that. We wanted to move somewhere uh, warmer um, and take on a new challenge. You know, it's the same thing. It's like I don't in many ways. I've talked about this with my wife. I was like it would have been way easier if I just still wanted to keep doing that. Cause at that point we're experts. We're doing it for so long. We got it running. The business is still going up. We just keep doing that for the next whatever years. Um, but we didn't want to do that. So, so that was a lot of motivation. We want to, um, our goal for the next business after the gym was to be able to work on our laptops, work anywhere we want, not have a brick and mortar. Uh, a lot of owners, People don't talk about that enough. There's a lot of stress that goes into like that building, you know, there's, you know, I don't want to get into too much, but our second uh, location we had, we were basically evicted and it, it was a, it was like a, a stressful, stressful time. Somebody, a new, somebody bought the, the building and basically gave us like two months to get out, you know, and like good luck finding a new, you know, all that, the stress of that, um, as much as there was a lot of good, great things from the gym there's a lot of uh stress a lot of weight on your shoulders you know keeping 10 12 people employed you know i felt a lot of responsibility so you know for their career things like that um you know in the end it worked out great our long time one of our long time coaches who who has a family he lives there in stanford um he started as a member who just started working out became a coach really matured and grew he's the one who eventually took over and you know his family's there it's it's perfect and uh, you know it's gonna keep going because the gym for a lot of gym owners will say the same thing it's like our baby you know it started 
out of nothing. It grew, it matured. Now it's time for us to kind of walk away and let somebody else, you know, inject new energy and things like that into it. So it, it really, if I could, if I could have known that 12, 13 years ago, I would have said that's a good deal. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's interesting because you're like, yeah, I just want to start something new. Like you're, and you're kind of leaving a thriving business mm-hmm. a lot of affiliate owners i talk to who have sold are like i'm tired man peace out yeah. <laughs> they're kind of they face burnout so it's kind of a different story um what what did that selling process look like i know you had mentioned like man selling a gym is hard <laughs> it's, it's so can you kind of walk me through that what that looked like sure the uh so the the process started wait years years before we actually sold it and it's what makes it extra difficult, let's say, in a CrossFit gym is you can't just announce it out there. You can't say, hey, we're looking to sell the gym. Does anybody want to buy the gym? You know, like it has to be really quiet internally. Yeah, because you just mass panic. Exactly. Exactly. You, you never want to show that there's instability and people might, all, all the things that go with it. Um, so that was the hardest thing, finding someone. You know, we really wanted to be one of our coaches to take over. There's a million different ways to make a deal. Um, you know, you want somebody in the perfect world to come in and buy your whole gym for what it's, you know, it's it's 5X or something. And But the coach that you want to take it over, you know, is a younger person who doesn't have that big, it's like buying a house. How do you have this big chunk of money to buy? So, so that's sort of the dilemma. But we were really firmly set on, we wanted it to be one of our own people, you know, because there, when, when we sold it eventually, there was no turnover. Everybody stayed. It's a status quo. At that point also, my wife and I really had removed ourselves from the coaching schedule purposely, slowly. We didn't, we, you can't be the face of it anymore. We, I was not the face of the gym at the end. I was a, what I call a restaurant manager. I'd be there all the time, I'd shake hands, I'd talk to everybody, but I was not their main person coaching on purpose as well because it, it, um, if you're, if for anybody, any, any owner out there looking to sell, you, the first thing you need to do is you need to start removing yourself from that part. You have to have a team, you can't be, you can't be everything. Otherwise, um, there will be mutiny or stress. You know, they, people don't like change. Um, the, the process, I, my advice would be and uh, I've written a little bit about this, I'll publish an article on it, but it's gonna, it's, it's, you should expect it to take five times longer than whatever you think it's gonna be. If you're trying to sell it for, if you have a good gym, flourishing business, you wanna sell it for what it's worth, it's very hard. If, uh, if you wanna just have a fire sale and sell your equipment and get out, that's easy. But uh, one of the most difficult, challenging things where there's just not that much information in our industry about what other gyms have sold for gyms that are actually, um, profitable and, you know, a, a good investment. The only information we could really find, um, talking to, I've, and I spoke with three other people I know who personally sold their gyms. It really, they didn't, they didn't get what they really wanted and they were selling it kind of like you were mentioned, they're burned out. The gym was like, it's okay. You know, it's getting by. And they basically just, got some the price of their equipment, you know, that kind of thing. So there's, uh, but I think as, um, as we're seeing CrossFit change, I think more and more, um, there's just much more of a professional 
approach now. If you the way if you're trying to keep your gym the same way it was in 2010, good luck competing with you know professionally run gyms and the new ones that are still opening now. Um, there's just so much more competition. Yeah. So how did you go about setting the price for your gym? It, was it just pricing everything out? I mean, because you said there wasn't a lot of information out there. So how did you go about doing that? So uh, we had to use the way um, the way it's done in like other industries. So like we, you know, fortunately we have some really good contacts and financial world to talk with in these things. And most things are still based on like a regular gym. Like say you're selling, I don't know, Planet Fitness or something like that, like that kind of gym. It's your equipment. It's the uh, memberships that are locked up for a year. That was an issue with us too. We're a month to month membership. We've con- we've contemplated 5 million different ways to do long-term memberships, but we didn't want to do that. Um, so we had to sort of create our own valuation, um, which was typical. It's a net profit, and then you pick a multiple. And then you can add in the equipment and these other things like that. Equipment basically is nothing. It's basically, it's basically nothing. Um, so it's, it's, luckily, we had a lot of data, you know, because we've been in business for so long. People want to see, this is going by like what the banks would tell you, it'd be like they want to see continued growth, but still room for profit. They want to see a steady membership. So one of my advice I have for people looking to sell is you need to have some long-term contracts. Even if it's like three, six, 12, something like months contracts, it, it does factor in because the bank will tell you, well, what if everybody leaves? They're not locked in. It's a month-to-month contract. That's what they told multiple different times. So it's that's, that's hard to factor in. So if you said, like, what is your gym really, what is it worth? It's worth your, your members, your memberships. And then the other big thing is you can't be the only person. So if you're doing, if you're the owner and you're doing all the work, you're doing um, every job, then your gym's not really going to be worth that much as someone buying that. They're buying, they're buying a job essentially. Um, so step one is you need to have a team around you. You need to be able to delegate, remove yourself off the schedule, build an actual team. The test is if you can go away for a week, two weeks, and not even talk to the gym, then you're you're good. You're set. You're 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 a business, and then work on your memberships. That'd be that'd be my advice on it. And then be patient because it takes a long time. It takes a long time. Yeah. No. No. That makes sense. And then I'm kind of curious. How did you guys uh, let the community know that this was happening or had happened? How did you roll that out? Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good question, actually. Um, were you just so like, we tried... and you left? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That would be horrible. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, our situation is so weird. It's just unique in its way. Okay, so we, we, um, okay, so when we're going through the process of the negotiation, all the bank stuff with our, with our coach, we're trying to keep it as quiet as possible. Right, but of course, there's rumors and people hear some stuff. I don't know, because someone nothing tells was... someone, and someone tells someone else, and then it just like filters. Of course. So we would, we we try to be pretty um, upfront with our coaching staff, especially the main guys, the people who are the full timers, and say, hey, look, we're talking to Nick about potentially taking over the gym. Um, it's so early. I just want you to let you know nothing might happen. I don't know because the process is so long. So they kind of knew that. So our situation was weird in this way that we were building our house in Florida when we were still there. 
with the intention of we were when we were building our house, we weren't even trying to sell the gym. Our intention was we're going to come here sometimes, and then uh, basically manage what we need to do to, and then go back and forth. Because at that point, it was just running. We had a team that was running, never running by itself, but pretty much running by itself. So our staff and everything and our members knew kind of we weren't there that much. You know, they were kind of used to us not being there as much, which was kind of a nice buffer in a way. So long story short, when it was actually official, officially, officially sold, we were down here in Florida. Uh, my wife crafted like a really thoughtful email to the whole membership explaining the whole thing, kind of our story and everything. It was received really well. It was, it was received 99.9% positive. And then we called each one of our coaches individually and kind of gave them the, the exact scenario and thanked them and all that stuff like that. And then I just called some uh, members I was close with and let them, let them know. But it was good. And we honestly, my, our relationship with them is great. I talk to the owner all the time. Talk to some, you know, like any other gym, I'm friends. I made so many friends there. Um, but yeah, I really, I think it went really smooth. Mm. Yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I, I, like I said, it's a reality in our industry right now. So it's just good to kind of break down the stories and be like, okay, why is this happening? How did this happen? Advice, tips that you can give from that. So I think that's, you gave some really great stuff, Andy. So thank you. It sounds like it went well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just like I was telling you our story, like we, people understand we're human beings too. Like life changes. I'm not the same guy I was 28 at 44. Like my interests start, you know, and it was kind of real. It was like a real passing of the torch yeah. you know, to their, to the guy they love, you know, yeah. it'd be, I think it'd be a difficult challenge for an outside person who's not part of your gym to take over because yeah. we were approached multiple times with outside people to take over or, buy a portion of the gym or something like that. And I would be like, mm, that'd be tricky. It'd be hard. Like I'm gone one day and now there's a new guy you don't know. That'd be tough. <laughs> yeah. I could see turnover if that happened. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just interesting hearing the different stories and seeing the different things in play. So, but so you're done with CrossFit Stanford. You've, you Stanford, you moved on. Yep. What are you, what are you doing now? Tell us what, what you're up to now. What is this new venture you're on? So the new, uh, so the inspiration for our, my new, company. The company is called Next Level Affiliates. It's kind of like the header of the company and there's programs underneath it. Um, before we sold the gym, I started writing. Um, that's really in a, in a, in a private world. I'd be in a perfect world. I'd be a author, like a full-time author. That's a, my favorite thing in the world is writing. I, I'm a readaholic. Hey. I would love to be able to write like fiction and things like that. So it's still on the checklist. I'm still going to like take some courses. Dude, to learn. I encourage you towards that. You are a great blogger. You write for box pros. So I'm like, yeah. go for it, Andy. I believe in you. Thank you. That to me has always been like the, so this was a way to be able to start that process a little. So I wrote a, I wanted to have get as much of this information out of my brain while still fresh on a, the most advice I could give to um, someone who someone who has a job they don't like and want to move to something they like, which I did. How do you even do that? Cause it could seem so daunting. Someone who's say a personal trainer coach want to open their own gym and then someone who's running their own gym. How do you make your gym what you want it to be? So that was kind of my motivation and I want to just get all this stuff out of my head. So I wrote this first book while I was still there in Stanford and finished it here. And it led to creating 
a program under next level affiliates, what I'm calling the business wad. And in that program, it's essentially filling the gaps from the programs that I had done. For instance, so I had done um, three, two, one, go. I mean, I, sorry, I had done two brain. Three, two, one, go is our guys. They did our website forever. Um, but I'd done two brain, awesome program. I did a mentorship thing with those guys a few years before we left. I've done OPEX mostly for the programming and other stuff, but they have business end of it. And then I've done, you know, Ben Bergeron. Some. I've done any, any CrossFit business thing. I've, I've done it. It's best investment. So part of the issue I saw was a, um, it's expensive. So I've made my program affordable. It's less than a level one certification. Um, it's all online. You can kind of pick and choose what you want. There's no tests and quizzes, which I found like stressful for some of the OPEC stuff. But what my point was, uh, what my goal was to take the, some of the best things from there, because they were all awesome programs, take some of the best things from there, put them together, what I've learned, and make it to one easy, simple to follow format with not a lot of theory and like things like that. It's like, here's exactly the blueprint for what we did for, you know, to build a community or something like that. And there's, there's sections in there. So that's, that's really the main first program is the uh, business one program, um, which is going to be out in October. I had three CrossFit gyms locally, two other CrossFit gyms and a Pilates studio <laughs> randomly testing it for me. And uh, it, was, it was great without doing that. I know mean, it's so much feedback. It's mostly videos and uh, you know handouts and things like that. But the feedback I got from those guys is great. So this last month I have to like reshoot some things and then it'll be off for the world. So, so that's kind of where that's kind of where I'm at doing that. And um, like I said, I like I love love writing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that's my that's my favorite favorite format. I love writing and I love podcast <laughs> well i'm glad that we're doing one of your two favorite things right now <laughs> yeah you're part of my two favorite things <laughs> although I'm, I'm sure you mean like doing like putting on podcasts maybe not being interviewed for podcasts right i yeah. love listening to them i'm a, I'm a bit of a information junkie too much i'm trying to like calm that down a little bit. i don't know if you like, do that too but... just like absorb it slowly it's slow absorption that's what you need <laughs> yeah i need sometimes just nothing just quiet you know yeah. yeah, it's hard. That is hard for me because I'm like, if I'm sitting there quiet and I start twiddling my thumbs, I'm like, well, I feel like I should be doing something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Andy, that's really cool. Well, I mean, definitely good luck on that. Um, good luck on Next Level Affiliates. That's, it's awesome. Um, I can't wait for the, the rollout in October. That's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, um, cool. And as we're wrapping up, I guess, last thing, if you had to tell affiliate one thing, that would just help them in their business or encourage them or piece of advice, what would that one thing be? Hmm. I would say I'm just, cause what initially comes to mind is like the biggest mistakes I made early on was I was not a good communicator with my coaches and with the members. And those were some of the earliest mistakes I made. So, and I will say to my own credit, I have not repeated those mistakes. So it's the same thing like, um, somebody has, you have an issue with a member, let's just say, right? It's, members causing a big ruckus and there are a lot of complaints. The most important thing is you have to sit down and face to face and talk to that person. You have to have these uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations. It's not time for email, phone call, text, things like that. You have to have uncomfortable conversations with them. And then the same with your staff. Um, 
I would say like have scheduled regular communication with them because a lot of times you, you're just guessing what they're feeling. You know, it might be something, some little thing that you're taking the wrong way. Um, I feel like, yeah, communication as open and po- open and like straightforward as possible. That's what I would say from the beginning with your members and your staff, just equally important. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. Communicate. Communication is key for sure. Yeah. So, well, Andy, thank you so much for being on the show today, just giving us all of your wisdom and your 12 years <laughs> of experience and your love for writing. No, but seriously, thank you so much. You've given us, you've given a lot. And to, our, to the listeners out there, y'all take something he said, apply it. I mean, you, we just got a lot of awesome nuggets from personal training and one-on-one um, to just cool community event structures and connecting with people to just communicate. So that's that's all. Um, that's the message of the day. That is the message of the day. Just everything in the past 40, 45 minutes. So, Andy, <laughs> seriously, thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show today. Uh, it was great having you. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. It was fun. And that wraps it up for this episode of Box Talk. If you liked what you heard, or you have an idea of what you'd like to hear, let me know by emailing heather at peakmedia.com, peak spelled P-E-A-K-E. As always, thanks for dropping in.